Welcome to Find the Path Podcast, actual play of the Hell's Rebels Adventure Path. This is our rumor mill number nine. 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 Woo! <laughs> nine. Are we saying the number or are we saying no in German? I don't Why understand. Or pay no Yes. This so is we the got... after party no one asked for. <laughs> yes, nine. <laughs> uh, but we got quite a bit to cover today. We've had some interesting things happen in the last three episodes. So we'll be covering True. episode 25, 26, and 27. In episode 25, we got to confront our saboteur in Wasp Nest. Sabotage. Oh, Sabotage. Um, which was a little imp named Blosodriet. Oh. I'm having a lot of trouble with the names in this book, just to throw that out there. We need to get There's you just like a little ones. pronunciation guy. I was going to say, mm. to be fair, Blosodriet is like a mouthful mm. of a name. Yeah, I'm, I'm not good with like regular people names like Brian or Ashley, let alone Blosodriet. Mm. <laughs> Come on, Blosodriet. It just rolls right off the tongue. It rolls you know? right off the yeah, tongue. Yeah, totally. I like that in Mummy's Mask, you don't have much of a problem with the Egyptian names, but the Italian oh, names are does. messing me up. I still do. He does. I can manage a couple of them, but yeah. <laughs> nobody sees yeah. the spelling unless you look at the adventure path. And nobody does that, right? Well, I'm sure lots of people do that. But uh, there was a uh, there was a I very do. long dis- discussion on what the heck we were going to do with Miss Blosodriet because was- she was under the impression that she would be very helpful to Miss Lucia Serini. Because mm. she's bound to the Serini family. Yeah, sure. Totally. And we happen the to have her contract. The All of second, them. yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a, totally how that would have worked out for us. I'm sure. So we said go to hell, specifically actual hell. I mean, we literally yeah, sent her much. back to hell. Yes, at the end of this, but yeah, I, uh, I had that thing where it's like what Lucia would have been would have been thinking and what I was thinking were like not aligned because like I was of course like no we're not going to do an amp like this is silly but I was like but Lucia would probably think about it because that's how nobles and Cantargo are probably raised well mm. especially Serenis yeah exactly it's like you don't give up an advantage and could this imp be an advantage you know like it's a whole thing is that necessarily an oversight because you're you're looking at it as her being a member of the Chelsh nobility but at the same time, she already is atypical for Chelsh nobility because your alignment is not evil. You abandoned yeah. all of that, so I'm like, why are you even comp- Why are you even contemplating this? This is going to end in ruin. The the way that I kind of looked at it is like a lot of kids are kind of just like like if you handed a kid a hundred dollars, they just take it. They don't think about it, right? And so it's like it's you don't look the gift horse in the mouth. On the child, because if my dad handed me a hundred dollars, I'd be like, "What do you want?" I don't know. If my dad handed me a hundred dollars, I'd be like, "Thank you, sir," and I'd go buy something with it. <laughs> see, yeah, yeah see, this see, exactly. is the differences in how people were raised. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Lucia is very much in the Jessica thing, where it's like, "Oh, you just gave me, you just gave me something cool to play with. I'm gonna go off now and do it." Well, it's not so much that someone gave you something as you stumbled across something, though. Uh, it was like mm-hmm. you found a hundred dollar bill on the ground, and just went, "This is obviously not a trap." <laughs> yeah. So, I have to, I have to ask. I'm always curious. Was this in? Is it a Serini like spy like in the book, or is that something you just worked to be? It is specifically with no direction from me. It is only applicable to someone who is Serini. <laughs> they knew someone would want to wow. play a Serini. No way, man. The exact wording of it. Uh, let me see if I can't find that real quick. 
Uh, it oh. is possible that one of the PCs is a Sereni, even if that character lacks the social ties to the family. Blosodriet's contract technically binds her to the PC. In this case, the PC could theoretically command the Ep to do his bidding. Theoretically. Consult the yeah. appendix on page 51 for more information on how Blosodriet can help the Silver Ravens as an ally. Parentheses. At least until the treacherous thing figures out a way to betray the rebellion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's not worth the risk. No matter what she could have helped us with, it was not worth the risk. Mechanically, no. what happens if you actually do have her as a member of the rebellion? Um, her stealth grants the Silver Ravens a plus one bonus on all secrecy checks. However, as long as Blissodriet remains an ally, the rest of the Silver Ravens are unsettled by the devil's presence, resulting in a minus one penalty on all loyalty checks. Oh. Yeah, because nobody That's, trusts yeah. you because I mean, you're saying we're going to overthrow the thrones and make the city better, but oh yeah, we have this imp. It's fine. Ignore yeah. Ignore her. <laughs> well, thankfully, we got Lucia to come to her senses. <laughs> and we ripped up the imp's contract. Well, so keep in mind, Cesare revealed... We know he's an ex-Asmodean now. <laughs> not only an ex-Asmodean, an ex-Asmodean priest. Yeah. yeah. yeah I actually really want to know about what the heck's going on. <laughs> yeah. Because that was like your whole argument was, I'm a former priest. I know these things are evil. And we all went... <laughs> and we're just okay. like... <laughs> and we no one tilt. in the party has said anything about it in the following two episodes. Well, we haven't exactly had a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, we literally <laughs> haven't had a moment. We haven't to had a moment. Right. I, I feel like it's something that everyone is, like, processing. I know that Victoria is, because I wrote extensively in her journal about it. Um, but, yeah. Not to sidetrack from this, it's... It's kind of something I've noticed has happened a lot where there is a there's been a rapid fire of character revelations where you more know, so the, than usual, yeah. Yeah, yeah. with Lucia become, coming out as a Sereni, followed immediately by Cesare or by uh Vittoria coming out that she's the bastard child of a noble family, followed by Cesare coming out that he's this former Asmodean. And so it has been like this rapid fire of character revelations with really no immediate ability to interact with it because you guys are getting hit with this stuff, but it's like, okay, so suddenly Lucia is a Sereni. We had a, I mean, Lucia's Sereni thing had a much larger uh, focus given to it just because it had to have an entire ed episode dedicated to Someone. unraveling that ball of yarn. <laughs> she she did draw attention to it by jumping off a bridge. But, you know, in Victoria's <laughs> case, she threw it out and then immediately you had to go and deal with the salt works. Mm -hmm. And in Cesare's case, it was thrown out and then you had to resolve this thing with an imp and then immediately go and save one of your allies. Yeah. Yep. So, because Morgar came in and was like, "But wait, <laughs> but wait, uh, the there's more. Kellish Citizens Brigade has gone rogue and decided to do their own excruciation." Yeah. I don't know if yep. they've gone rogue really per se. Like this feels kind of like the next step. Technically, they're deputized, so kind of they're recognized militia. Yeah. 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 It, it's but I, that I don't legal think they have the authority area. to just start these, though. I think it's one of those things where you have to like, well, oh, we've arrested this person. Now we too concerned, considering they weren't even there. So well, they they did file an injunction, though. I mean, they're going through technically the legal process. They're just mm -hmm. dragging their feet with it. So well, they might I, not even be dragging their feet. It, yeah, it could just be the process. That's just yeah, it could just yeah. be the bureaucracy. So. Like that's the thing is that the Chelish Citizens Group, I think, is a mixed blessing for the Tatari. On one hand, it probably helps keep some of the common problems away. On the other hand, it seems to be creating several problems of its own. Um, well, they kind of undermine the the rank and file Dotari, right? Because they're kind of going around beating up people or or doing all this other stuff that 
if it wasn't this cello citizens group would be a crime but because they're deputized they're kind of okay with it but it's like you have to go and still do the investigation to find out oh they remember the cello citizens group so they're okay you know and stuff so i'm sure it's a lot of work technically for them. what they should have done is taken zaya to the datari and say we found her outside of yeah. apparently mm. now that we know the whole story a warehouse on fire <laughs> um, you okay. know, but they decided to take the punishment part into their own hands, which is the, you know, wibbly part. Well, it's that yeah. weird thing where, like, they're, you know, the Chellish citizens groups are probably the most fanatical, you know, supporters of Thrune and, you know, all of that. So they're the kind of people that you would imagine would follow law, but mob rule tends to make people kind of silly. Well, I think the main problem with the Cello Citizens group is that they're probably, to put it in game mechanic terms, a very neutral evil organization and a very lawful evil yeah. society. They kind of just want yeah. to do things to punish people they don't like, and they don't yeah. really care about the law per se. They just like the fact that the law allows them to go around and do this crap. Yeah, for real. Well, to be to be honest, I didn't. I just thought of this: is that the the Atari probably go through at least a basic training of these are the laws of the country or of the city that we have to follow. Here's the rules and regulations yeah. and things like yeah. that. Absolutely, in a lawful evil society, certainly. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and the Cello Citizens Group. I just got a pamphlet that says here's the things we want you guys looking out for. True. I'm gonna do a hard left back to Cesare. Was Cesare actually like cleric, like levels of cleric? Yeah, he was. That's where he got curb stomping. Now I think he's a war priest cleric. They're more <laughs> you know? I, I would actually buy that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, of course, we didn't learn about the curb stomping until we got to the excruciation, and we were like, what? No, you guys knew about the curb stomping. We saw stomping. that at the salt, and yeah. we saw that. Yeah, oh, we, saw we did that. see it at the salt works yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I, Adrian was even like, that is not the first time he's done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because it was it was one of those things where, like, you did it the first time, we're like, whoa, okay, that was cool. And you did it the second time, we're like, this is a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to be. Yeah, yeah, but th thankfully, I, d I don't think we killed anybody in this uh, round with the Chelsea Citizens Brigade, because I know in the first... Mm. Um, situation in Aria Park, I believe uh, oh, Lucia oh, no. yeah, and we, Cesare no, yeah, both Cesare killed and Lucia someone. killed somebody. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Although I think we are starting to get into episode 26 at that point, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. With the uh, actual That's when we actually got to the excruciation and we kind of split up where some of us went to go uh, try to rescue who we found out was Zaya. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually didn't know on the way over there. Doghouse. Yeah, the breakout yeah. team of, of Adria and Nicolo. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then uh, the rest of us uh, uh, went to go try and top Brawl. down the Challenge Citizens Brigade. Didn't really work, and curb stomping ensued. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. actually going to mention um, a little behind the scenes here, a little bit of the, the techno speak here. Uh, we mm. did transition to Foundry starting in yes. that episode. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is one why it may there may be a little bit of a different sound as far as uh, people asking for roles and then rolling their own secret checks, which is part of the reason we made the transition. And two, we were mostly rolling digital dice at this point, which means that there were a lot of reactions to things because before before they announced the results. <laughs> for the first time since we've been recording remotely, everyone's actually seeing the dice rolls again. And the yep. heaven so. mythos holds true. Yeah, and true. Heather got two perfect yep. 20s. Uh, because apparently digital, digital dice world. also love Heather. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just uh, just thought, figured I'd throw that out there. I just feel like we need more hideouts so Adria can find places to put these animals she's she's adopting. 
Yeah, okay, no. here's what you need to do. You need to, like, one of our, like, hideouts is affronted by an animal shelter. Yes, that'd be so oh, cute. Oh, you know, that's not a half that would be, bad idea. Because any sounds that come out of it would just be like, oh, that was the dogs. Like That would be you know. so cute. And people coming in and out would just be like, you know, take a dog with you, you know. Because little Momo is now living in my glass shop, which Why doesn't feel like a Why are you naming place. all of your animals after, like, the Archdevils? Lord? Yeah. Archdevils? That's weird. Know, it feels Chalaxian and kind of, like, a little sacrilege. Yeah, it's just a little bit disrespectful, you know? Yeah, but it also could be seen as a thing you do in ref in like reverence of something, you know? But I mean, obviously. my mom's best friend named her dog Lucifer and just called her Lucy. I mean, you're asking for trouble when you name dogs after bad things, but it's fine. Um, I was actually going to ask a question of Rick um, concerning that encounter. Uh, primarily, I was interested in knowing... Um, if there was any way for the uh, crowd to get more involved in that fight, or if it's kind of assuming that, you know, nothing drastic happens, they just stay out of it. So mechanically, no, um, there isn't much that the crowd does as far as stepping in is concerned. The crowd is basically there during the day, uh, both the people in support and the people protesting, and most of them leave by night. So feasibly, if you wanted to leave Zaya to deal with the constant damage that she would take over the entire course of the day, you could stealthily slip in at night, take out these people and then leave. Why would um, you just... Okay, I mean, I guess it's more stealthy, but good lord, you, that's... You don't raise your notoriety by doing yeah. it that way. Mm. But of course, you're also leaving someone to suffer through dog housing for an entire day, which Sometimes is Sometimes you need a little notoriety. It, it, it might be, you know, good that we gave, like, a little nudge-nudge, like, hey, the Silver Ravens are back. Granted, I don't... They haven't connected it to us yet. Well, yeah, I was about to say, we didn't but, say anything about the Silver Ravens, but... No. We did, however, publicly say that the uh, Chelish Citizens Group is not as powerful as people think they are because a bunch of people in mass were able to beat them up, no problem. Well, half of, half masked, half not masked. Hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, some of y'all weren't wearing masks. But An interesting side note, by the way, is Zaya is one of two options for hmm. people that would be here. Oh, is there somebody else that could be there? Uh, apparently, if you did not successfully stop Clinch Jaws from going under, Rinston, whatever the people come to basically shut down Clinch Jaws, attacks them. Oh. Um, and that, like, get out of my bar kind of thing when oh. they go to claim his bar, oh. at which point Clinch Jaws actually the one oh, being held in the doghouse. Oh, wow. Jeez. Oh. So, things could have been a little different. Glad we <laughs> took well, care glad of Clinch Jaws. Clinch Jaws. Yeah, look at you guys helping people and uh, and having repercussions from it. Yeah. Positive. I do like. I do like that they've put that into the adventure path, though. Mm. Of it's like kind of like a, almost like a branching narrative kind of design. Yeah, there is also a third option, uh, which is if any of the uh, PCs get captured. Oh. Mm. So one of the PCs is subject it to, to it, and the rest have to like. Oh, it could have been, been Lucia, Lucia in the doghouse. <laughs> oh no! So I would never yeah. put Serini in there. Mm. Yeah, probably not. Until she yeah. disowned it, at which point, you know. His yeah, after, after, if yeah. I got caught again, they'd absolutely yeah. would. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a fun little number of options there for whoever gets stuck in it. Me and Ross over here fighting with chains and stuff. and Yeah, I mostly got bit by people. a dog's bunch. It was fun. <laughs> Whee! Yeah, I got to use my tree spell. That was fun. That was that a was really cool. cool spell, That's actually. a really I cool like spell. That one. It came out of Secrets of Magic, I think. Very nice. Very nice. nice. Yeah, so we got curb stomping, we got tree growing, we got chain breaking. Like, it was actually a pretty fun bare hands. Hands. It was a very, It was a very dynamic episode. <laughs> it was, it was. I tried with my uh, bare hands. I think I still had to use the crowbar in the end. But... Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it was, you still broke it. Still, it was on Because uh, then we got a dog out of it. Uh, <laughs> also true. Yeah, because I think Zaya was the first one to, to book it. And, yeah. uh, and then uh, every, everyone over there kind of chased her down. 
mm-hmm. and uh, made our way back to uh, our hideout. Um, and I think that was pretty much the end of episode 26. And then we came up to episode 27. That's when we actually kind of have a chat. And I say we, but it was more Niccolo kind of had a heart to heart, like, hey, <laughs> so how'd you end up here? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is I think Niccolo that's at the it. end of the day is very, that was good. <laughs> he wants, you know, he's like, I get it. First of all, I get it. Like I would probably be doing something similar, especially when I was younger. Secondly, I, I understand that you have your pride and I don't want to like trample on that. But thirdly, you could have died, and I really don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you could have died. Yeah. He's been really seriously hurt. I do yeah. like that it did very much establish her as a chaotic good character, though, because she steals yeah. all this food from the navy and then is giving it over to the Clovenhoof yeah, uh, Society. I, I was like, yeah. yep, that's some that's some Robin classic Hood stuff Robin right Hood there. archetype. Yeah, yeah. Gotta stick it to those thrunies. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yes, I like her a lot. I'm glad she's with us. Yes, it was close. Well, we wanted her from the beginning. Yeah, I was it's a true, little worried yeah. we botched that diplomacy check. <laughs> Lucia. <laughs> hey, hey, dice roll with the roll, man. I, I don't have any control over I it anymore. I just regular failed, so, I mean. <laughs> you just regular failed. I just remember it popping up on Foundry and just Lucia. It was just red. That's the one. Okay, that's the worst part is that Foundry will shame you with colors and be like, yeah. it's, it's red when it's a nat one and it's green when it's a 20, and it's, yeah. I very rarely see the green. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you guys are going to be steadily getting up to, uh, like, approaching the point where you have to wonder sometimes with rolls whether or not it's worth rolling it. Mm. Yep. Yeah. In first edition, it's a lot of like, eh, I'll go ahead and roll diplomacy. What's it going to hurt? But in second edition, it's like, actually, it can. It yeah. can very much hurt if you're non-diplomatic party members. Like, I'm going to try to help. And then it's <laughs> like, shh, shh, sit down. The, the funny thing about it, though, is I do have a plus seven you, in diplomacy. Yeah, I just yeah. can't roll. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, we're all pretty diplomatic, I think. Yeah, it's true. But it's like later on, I think that there were a couple of times where you guys were making like society checks and a couple of you were just like, eh, I'm not going to bother rolling this society recall knowledge because mine's low. Mm. But I think we're so, also all trained in society. It's very weird. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes looking at the math, it might be more beneficial to designate, you know, the person with the highest role and then maybe somebody try to aid them. And then them. do a bunch of aids. Well, well, yeah, maybe so well actually, harder. no, aiding is so much harder. In It'll get easier yeah. as we get higher level. And a critical failure will penalize the person who's rolling the main check. So, yeah, yeah it just sort of depends on the situation. Basically means I should never aid anybody is what I'm learning. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, some, again, sometimes it depends it, on the situation. It's, it's interesting. And actually, I, mechanically, I like it because sometimes you just look at it and go, yeah, if an expert is at work and you don't know what you're doing, sometimes the best thing you can do is just stay out of their way. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you know, you've got somebody It's like, well, I have no experience with craft, but Adria is attempting to do a legendary craft check. Sure, I'm going to jump in here and go, hey, how can I help with this thing? You need this thing poured into this thing? Okay. And like, start, like, pouring stuff together. It's like, no, stop. And <laughs> I've watched glass fire. blowing shows. It's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> And everything's on fire. I watched a glass blower once. How hard could it be? You blow into a tube or something. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, God. I was going to say, go watch watch those shows on Netflix where they do like the glass sculptures and stuff. Like, yeah, blown away. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that is a a ridiculous uh, profession. It is a a legit art form. Oh, it it is is so hard to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, if any of our listeners get to go to Ren Fairs or anything, but most of the time... I know in Texas we have the glass blowing show at Scarborough, and mm. it 
is so cool to watch. They are yeah. absolutely amazing. Just putting that out there. If you ever come to Texas during certain times, go to Scarborough. <laughs> and then we left. Is that what happened next? Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of more just backstory reveals, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. boom. No time to rest. Boom, more backstory. <laughs> yeah. We got time to make uh, a this filler, no filler here. I had yeah. not caught the person's last name that was signing the books. I just thought it'd be funny if Adria was into romance novels. And then suddenly I was like, oh, this is like a backstory moment mm. for Victoria. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. As a side note, the I considered making the joke at the time, so I'll go ahead and make it now. Uh, Patreon stretch goal, we write chapters of this romance series. Oh my oh god. god. <laughs> oh, Do you want the Sin Saga? It was pretty, I'm like, rolling around, sailing her Viking ship, riding on a dragon, bedding everybody in the land. Your dragon named Icy. Patreon stretch goal. It's just, as a complete aside, I used to work for a used bookstore, and one of the things we did to pass the time was go through all the romance novels and read out some of the choiciest bits to each other, because <laughs> what else are you going to do when you're just sitting around a store all day? So, yeah, there's some uh, interesting stuff out there. For sure. Yes, but Rick, you deprived, you deprived our listeners who are playing the bingo game of the Patreon stretch goal spot. It's in the subscription. Mm-hmm. Patreon yeah. stretch goal. Oh, uh, yeah. I guess this episode counts for bingo. Like five of them, yeah. That's true. But yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. I liked that he wanted to be an adventurer and couldn't be an adventurer. There's some other things I like, but, you know, secrets. It was an unexpected moment, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, you got to uh, to, to meet your half-brother, introduce your half-brother to the uh, the audience. And yeah. he's not a jerk noble. No. Yeah, he seems like a he cool seems guy. Cool. Seems like Might a cool helpful. guy, possible ally. Yeah, um, well, Victoria's actually been writing letters to him, like, hmm. for years. <laughs> I was about to say, it sounded like uh, you two had kept in touch. You just didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah you just haven't much. seen cool. each other. It's the interesting thing where, um, you know, neither of them, neither Victoria nor Markel have, uh, like, a positive relationship with their father. Mm-hmm. It's just in one case, you know, Victoria was just thrown aside even when she wanted a positive relationship with her father initially reading into a little bit there. Conversely, his father is constantly trying to pressure him into a positive relationship and he wants nothing to do with his father. (laughs) So, And why bring back a child when you're just going to ditch her? That doesn't make any sense. But anyway. There's more to it. Well, Victoria explained a little bit of it there where it might not have necessarily been his plan so much as when he came back and the dude's wife said, oh, wait, you brought back an illegitimate daughter. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, this will be great. Oh, Oh, that's right. I married Crud. You love kids, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's totally Just how that works. Just pretend like it's yours. That, that has never worked in the history of ever. But yeah, that was a fun little moment. I think it gave yeah. uh, Vittoria and Adria a good moment, too, to kind of... That, yeah. Like, oh, you're kind of an orphan? I'm kind of... A, I'm definitely an orphan. Yeah, and that was that was a revelation, because I don't think any mm. of us knew that you were an no. orphan. Yeah, probably not. Cesare is the only character that... Ha- well, no, Niccolo has his adopted mom, but I was about to say, Cesare has, like, a good relationship with his parents. Niccolo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is, yeah, Niccolo, he's known his adoptive mother his entire life. Like, she found him when he was literally a baby. He has no memories of who his actual, like, parents are. Mm. Or a bunch of sad people, except Cesare. A little wee baby. Although Cesare's sad in a different way. Yeah, Cesare's sad That's in yeah. a lot more different ways. We're a typical <laughs> adventurer party, though. We got to have, you know, sad backstories. Yeah, it's true. 
But, uh, yeah, from there, then we decided to go ahead and start gathering some information on our newest mission uh, that Zaya let us in on, which is about the uh, Red Jill gang that's apparently been causing trouble in yeah. not only the Red Roof District, but has kind of been venturing out. Yep. Um, but I think, uh, I think Victoria ended up being the only one that actually figured anything out that um, they've been... I guess congregating near Temple Hill, the eastern mm. slope. As far as their current mm. movements, yes. Yeah, uh, and that their leader has "quote unquote" gone crazy. That's mm. Scar Plume. So, and Scar apparently, Plume. maybe a sorcerer. To see what that means. Yeah, yeah. Scarplume is rumored to be a sorcerer. At the very least, they have access to some sort of magic, something. So. Yeah, so we'll find out. Maybe they just have a sorcerer dedication. Maybe Norgaber. Maybe just if they're really good with wands. Who knows. The sorcerer fight. We have no sorcerers. Sorcerer wizard fight. Yeah, and then uh, we got we got a little bit more information on Jackdaw and uh, apparently and all of the threats that they like prevented. They did a lot of cool stuff. during their like 35, 40 years. Of and they being, have a weapon. Yes. And, power, and they uh, have some sort of MacGuffin. But the thing about it was, is like, yeah, 30 or 40 yeah, know, years, Rick, and it's like doing like one adventure path. Are you yeah. mad it's, that I use the word MacGuffin? Yes. It, yes, he it's hates incorrect that word. in this the, case. The definition of a MacGuffin is it has to be an item that can be traded out for another item, and it makes no difference. Well, we don't know what the item is, so it could we be We don't a know MacGuffin. what the item is yet. But that's kind of like saying, like, a MacGuffin's more, uh, uh, what was the... Well, I mean, the Maltese Falcon is probably the... The Maltese Falcon is a famous yeah. example. Also, uh, the mission... Well, the Maltese mission... Falcon is a fake thing. Well, that's the thing. is, that, Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. The whole plot works regardless of what you call it. The Mission Impossible, the one that had uh, them chasing after... I think it was a list of names or something. It's when, when you can have a spy movie and it's like, oh, we're chasing after a list of spy names and you can replace that with nuclear launch codes or a biological weapon or anything mm -hmm. else and it makes okay. no difference. That's a MacGuffin. But if yeah. it ever sees any use in the plot that is actually relevant to what the thing is, it is no longer a MacGuffin. It's weird because I've never heard your use of MacGuffin, but I have heard Rachel's use of MacGuffin. Yeah, I've never heard times. that use That's of because it's like people using the term literally, that everyone misuses MacGuffin all of the time. <laughs> it's not a plot relevant item because that's what that is. It's just a plot centric item. Mm. Anyway. At any rate though, there is a secret weapon and we're hoping to find out what it is and how to use it because that sounds pretty that's good. Yeah. I like the idea of a secret weapon. The opera house was brought up again, so I'm wondering if at some point we're gonna have to like do a sneaky sneak into the underbits. Oh, probably I don't know. not for a while because that's like, what we're yeah. do that for a while. I don't mean like now. I mean like, but eventually, I feel like we're the opera end house up there. Is... We gotta. That's probably where the cool like weapon thing is. <laughs> I like Heather's comment because suddenly all I can picture is the party trying to sneak by and there's like an open door past them and it's just Brazili like in a hot tub scrubbing his back and everything. It's like, we gotta sneak by. He's probably like 10 levels higher than us. Just gotta stealth and pass in the hallway. Who knows what sort of diabolic scheme he's concocting right now. And he's like, hmm, yep. rose petals. Yes, I do like the smell of Cesare this. has to pretend to be like the towel boy or something. He's like, oh, you God. over there, towel boy. And he's like, ah. Oh, Dang it. <laughs> what, I, what I would like is if it was him and that weird lady that was like healing, healing or whatever, but they're doing the scene Nox. in um, uh, Shanghai Noon when yeah. uh, they both, they're both in the tub and they're just getting drunk playing some kind of like drinking game or whatever. Wow. Well, I have seen, not seen that, 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 that was a yeah. weird callback, but yeah. I know. Oh, that was good. a weird callback. I was like, uh, like going through my Rolodex of movie trivia in my brain and I was like, where is that? Where is that? Where is that's, that? That's oh, what I got, right. man. That's what I got. <laughs> 
Uh, but anyway, so we have some cool stuff. Hopefully next time then we'll be dealing with, uh, with, uh, oh God, I keep forgetting their name. Um, Dark Plume? No. Scarplume. Scarplume, that's it. I keep wanting to say Dark Plume, and it's not that. It's Scarplume, but anyway. It's Judy Bloom. And I thought Cesare's last name was like emo <laughs> goth extra. But yes, <laughs> yeah. hopefully next time we'll be dealing with Scarplume and their machinations, whatever they may be. I'm hoping. But sounds, until then. Sounds exciting. We're going to answer emails. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Our first email is from, ooh, I am probably going to pronounce this wrong, so please correct me next time if you write in again. It's either Kama or Kama from Denmark. Ooh, love me some Danes. Awesome. Uh, are we are we still hello, hello, placing Kama? people? Sure. Uh, I'm going to vote Land of the Lenorm Kings because <laughs> I mean, that's Avrobo right now. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe Kama's part of the, uh, the, the Sin Saga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. We're not placing oh, no. people in... <laughs> Historical fiction fantasy novels. That's just too meta, okay? Land of Norm Kim is a real fake place. I know, but that I'm just true. saying. Oh, there's that really cool name city in the Land of Lenorm Kim. What was that? They've got um, a lot of cool city names. Hagreach? Is it Hagreach? That's a cool city name. It sounds like they have a problem with hags. Well, they're next to Irison, I think. So they kind of do. <laughs> I think I might have just been thinking of the Ironbound Archipelago just because it's a cool sounding place. I was about to say, I mean, Halgrim, of course, is my favorite city in the entirety of uh, the Land of the Lenorm King. I think we've placed somebody there before on my... Uh, I'm on my... pretty sure we've put somebody there before. Let's do it again. I mean, Halgrim. Halgrim. <laughs> All right. So, Halgrim's uh, great. Kama I love from that Halgrim. Uh, And they say, hello, Pathfinders. Hello. hello. Hi. Hello. I'm Kama from Denmark, which I don't remember if you've placed, but I'll find out soon enough as I'll be re-listening to Mummy's Mask and writing down all the Sirenscape descriptions and all your placings. Oh, wow. Yay! Wow. Nice. Wow. I'm going to just give That's you an, an applause right now. Take uh, a hero point. <laughs> I think yeah. we've been send asking someone us. to do that for a long time. We will so, send you uh, something. Send us that. We'll yes, send you a hero point. Yes, let us point. know, and we <laughs> oh, yeah. will definitely send you something. After having binged Mummy's Mask, I didn't know what to do with myself at work, so I decided to listen to Hell's Rebels, Sweet. which was a mistake. Oh. Because then I didn't really didn't know what to do, hence this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have a lot of episodes of this out quite yet. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, We're getting there. Patreon, you could uh, listen yeah. to a bunch of episodes that, of Tyrant's Grass. That is true. Yes. 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 want to just true. be sad. 60 so. episodes of Tyrant's Grass now. <laughs> yeah. I expect mm. someone else is also doing something similar and will probably finish first, but I'll send you my notes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. They are. They haven't announced it to us. <laughs> yeah. You genuinely ruined me for other podcasts that don't oh, no. have your quality of storytelling oh. or audio. And it well, certainly helps that you all have pleasant voices, especially Rick's chuckle as ASMR-inducing. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just did Very it. Nice. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, thank you. I also really feel bad when people are telling us, like, we've, we've ruined them for other podcasts. I'm like, oh, I'm I like, feel I sad. love that you love us so much, but I also feel bad because... We don't have enough content yet. I, I will say <laughs> we have though, a lot of content. Our podcast has ruined other things for me because since I now live and am married to an audio snob, I get audio snobbish about other stuff. And so it's like, oh, this audio is terrible. I'm not going to listen to it. I do that too. It's bad. <laughs> that's, a, that's, yeah. that's part the part and parcel for the profession. <laughs> so they continue. I didn't expect to so quickly and readily come to love your new characters, but I'm already deeply invested in them all and in Kentargo being free. Awesome. Uh, Nicolo mm. and Vittoria are quite shippable, which I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs> 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 watch out, Rick. 
<laughs> wow, that didn't take long. All right. <laughs> so, which I'm not sure you've noticed, much less intended, but they have great chemistry and complement each other wonderfully. Of course, the whole team fits together splendidly and already feel more like a found family than a ragtag bunch of thrown together than a ragtag bunch thrown together by circumstance. Awesome. I do have a question. Mm. You've occasionally mentioned cat blessing your dice. What uh-huh. is the full ritual for that? And can I substitute my dog? Pictures attached. I don't have a cat, and I don't know any that would put up with me conducting esoteric rituals with me. You can definitely <laughs> use a dog. Good tidings and good luck in your rebellion. Can't. Yeah. You can Thank definitely you. use a dog, as long as it's a good-natured dog. A dog that will not roll over immediately onto yeah. you and crush you. Um, mm-hmm. It might be easier if it is a smaller dog. It's I nice. would yes. not uh, go for big dog unless you're just going to, like, I don't know, gather some hair and do something. Because the ritual is waving the dog slash the cat over the dice. Is yes. there some mm-hmm. amount of times? I feel like it's just willing. I think it's clockwise three we times. We usually do I three. think it's clockwise three times. Yeah. 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 If three is the magic number. Also, <laughs> we recently in Mummy's Mask, I want to say it was in the 160s. Uh, one of the after parties covered blessing a table with a cat as well. Yes, so mm-hmm. slightly same different same idea, ritual, yeah. but same general principle. I yes. sometimes just set my dice down on my bed and let Mikey either lay on them or bat them around a little bit, and that seems to give him kind of a kickstart when I don't have time for the whole. You know, <laughs> she's she's yeah. revealing the secret to the Heather mythos. Quick, everyone to Heather's house. We have to find, have to Mikey. find Mikey. So the secret is Mikey. <laughs> yes, Mikey is the source okay. of her power. She's I'm a witch. Curious, like, yeah. what if you? What if you set out three bags of dice and then you put a dog treat in front of each bag of dice equal distance from a door and then you open the door? Would the dog go to the luckiest bag of dice? Yes. I think a dog would. Or the I think they can smell the luck. All right, Path Folk, you have you have a new mission. See if see if dog random picking dice bag is lucky. And For science. I would request For science. Please peer review your request. studies scientific evidence of such an experiment so if you would send us videos and or pictures we would it be, has to be very appreciative of Rachel of just all, cute dog pictures of yes. all dog and How cat dare you? blessings of dice and or tables coincidentally like there will be cat and dog pictures but it's mostly about the science and the dog pictures I guess pictures. you can send numbers if you want what, what, what's the Adam Savage quote the difference between science and chaos is science writes it down yeah <laughs> Yes. So if you could please join our Discord, go to the Shiny Rocks channel on our Discord and post pictures of your animals deciding your dice. Yeah, that would be great. That yes. would be yeah. the easiest way to do this. And then, of course, write right. the numbers down somewhere. But we don't really care about mm. them, just the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so, For science. Uh, our second email is uh, Ian from Etrin's Folly from Wales. Oh, awesome. Um, this nice. is a follow up to the email that we read on Rumor Mill 7. Awesome. So, okay. Hi, y'all. Cool. Hello. Hi. Hey, Ian. Thanks for writing back in. Uh, Thank you very much for answering my question about character backgrounds. It was very helpful, but unfortunately, the game fell through due to scheduling. The death of many a table. (laughs) Scheduling is the greatest challenge in Pathfinder. Um, Not a huge fan of turnips, but I guess you eat what's available. (laughs) (laughs) We we put them in Etrin's right, turnip Uh, town. So... (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get creative. You could always plant something other than turnips and be different. There you go. Yeah. You should for crop rotation purposes. Actually, <laughs> if uh, you're a true. fan of Shelbyville, you could drink a nice cool glass of turnip juice. Mm, <laughs> there you go. Hey, one turnip of them might be juice. a prince. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. 
Um, I'm about 130 episodes into the Mummy's Mask podcast. I dread awesome. actually catching up with all your podcasts as I would have to wait for more content. <laughs> it is We're sorry. Worst. We're trying hard. <laughs> so we are creeping up on our upcoming Patreon yes. goal. So uh, at which point we'll have Tyrant's Grass Weekly. So that's, that's more true. content every week. And we'd be two-thirds of the way to Hell's Rebels Weekly, which is the True. inevitable goal. And Rick could be yep. full-time on the podcast, which means more editing? I was going to say, we, Rick goes full-time so that he can actually sleep and edit three weekly shows. <laughs> yep. Uh, sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most elusive of monsters. <laughs> Ian says, thanks again for all your work on all of your podcasts. Uh, Ian from Etrans Folly. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ian. Thanks, thank you, Ian. Yeah. All right. And we have a third mm, email so many from emails. Patrick oh, from Catapesh. We are blessed. Oh, Hello, Patrick. AKA our friend uh, Hadrian on the Discord. Oh, oh Hadrian. Oh, hey. yeah. I always forget Everyone Hadrian's Hadrian. actually a Patrick. Yeah. Uh, hello, finders of the path. Hello. 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 Uh, I'm running the Abomination Vault's adventure path, and one of the things I've noticed is that the read-aloud descriptions of rooms tend to give more information than I'd like. They'll outright state the use of rooms or objects and include details that the players wouldn't uh, intuit as they waltz into an area for the first time. Very minor spoilers, but I'm looking at a room description now that says it has smashed cases, quote-unquote, once used to display books. I think I remember Rick saying that he usually writes his own area descriptions, so my question for all the GMs of the group is how you decide what information to give the players, and whether you write descriptions ahead of time, or come up with them extemporaneously. Ooh, I've never actually read that word. Extemporaneously. Extemporaneously. I like it. I just, I've, I don't think I've ever had an occasion to read it out loud. Mm. Yeah. I used to do extemporaneous uh, speeches, actually, for debate. <laughs> all right, he says, it was thanks fun. for your insight. Patrick from Ketapesh. So, all right, GMs, this is on y'all. Okay. So first off, I don't write area descriptions before. Uh, I do paraphrase area descriptions a great deal. And Paizo does have a habit of sometimes inferring things where it's just exactly what you said right there. Smashed cases once used to display books. And you can get kind of an image like, okay, maybe there's like a cloth bottom to it or Why like velvet lining. Don't you just call it a bookcase? Well, I think this is more along the lines of like a glass display case. Oh, like then why don't you just call it a display case? Why do you have to? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> my my issue is less that. And my issue is sometimes that a description of a room will be you've stepped into a room. Okay. I have three issues with descriptions of room. First uh, off, go. Go. He's holding up fingers, y'all. Right, here in comes for the, the soapbox, everybody. First off is one of them will be from a specific point of view, which the players may not have which will describe something on the far side of the room so that the player cannot see in the room until they step into the room. Uh, that one sometimes gets me. It just kind of irks me a bit. The That's one of the things that I love about doing the virtual tabletop is because I can actually see exactly what the front player sees mm -hmm. and therefore know what to describe of the room before they walk into the room. The second one is it kind of always bothers me when they do the description of a room and they include where the, all the doors are because they don't necessarily know which door you come in from. So it's like you step yep. into a room, you look around, the room is 10 feet at a side. There's an exit to the north, an exit to the east, and an exit to the west. And I'll always just go, since you're entering through the east door, there's a door off towards your right, and then there's a door across from you as you enter the room. Mm -hmm. Because people are not going to, especially with my wife, Rachel, are not going to keep track of cardinal north, directions. North, south, east, and west? What? Nope. <laughs> people will be like, it's on the north side of the highway. Okay. 
Uh, the third one, and this actually isn't a beef for me, but I've heard this and it always makes me laugh, is the bearing the lead of every room description. Because the room description <laughs> never yeah. include the monster. So it's like you walk into this chamber. Ahead of you is a partially flooded cavern. Slagtites hang from the ceiling and you see a massive mound of gold. There are brazers along the surrounding walls. Also, there's a giant F.U. dragon. But, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not the first thing you that. notice. The first thing you notice are the beautiful brazers. Yeah, you notice the two glowing eyes that are getting ready to burn your face up. Remarkable uh, plumage, um, your little Norwegian blue. <laughs> You know? Sometimes when I GM, if you walk into a room and something immediately attacks you, sometimes I don't describe the full room until after the battle. You notice that this thing's about to eat you. Um, stepping off my soapbox, what I'll say as far as useful information is I like to describe things in a way that intrigues the player's inter interests with providing the minimal amount of information. So if you mm. say that there's a, there's a collapse over here and it looks like something is trapped under the collapse, you don't have to say it's a bookcase. Just enough for a player to go, I want to make it, I want to go over there and search the collapse. Or, okay, there's, you know, these ruins of furniture on the far side of the room. I want to go over there and look at that furniture, just enough to entice them to go and investigate it. And then it also mm. becomes a little bit more special for the individual player looking into it. Yeah. Because now it's, oh, now I have re information to relate back to the group. Hey, guys, I found this display case, and they're padded. I think they used to hold books, but the books are gone. Mm. Now that's information. I think um, one of the things that I like to do is it depends, of course, it's very situational. But if it's the case that there's a detail that is generally irrelevant to the actual plot, you know, it's like, OK, well, I know that this is a bookcase. What does that get me? Very little, actually, um, because, frankly, there's no secret with the bookcase. It just used to be a bookcase. I might, you know, just add in. It's like you find some ruined covers or something by it or something like that. Just so that way there's a reason for you to believe it's a bookcase rather than, you know, just like, mm. okay, knowledge from on high says this is a bookcase. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, having played with Rick long enough, like Rick is good at hitting the highlights. So as he does mm. the room description, like we all pretty okay. much like perk up at the times where there is the things we should investigate. And then there's like the moments that are just kind of like the, the nice, like descriptive stuff that we like don't know. I, I don't really know how you do it because I've do, done it so long. I've, I just like know, like these are the interesting things in this room we need to go look at, you know? We just learned the cues. Yeah, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah, it's like I feel like I'm like a I'm, I'm like a dog who's been trained to react to a certain whistle or something. Name Pavlov, uh, ring a bell. Rapid fire, three additional things that I would throw out. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to do things in divisions of threes. First off, use the word approximately because it mm. makes a room sound. It makes it sound better. Where instead of saying it's a ten foot by ten foot room, you go the room is approximately ten feet across mm -hmm. by about ten feet wide. Yeah, like that way it's not like a, oh language. I'm in a cube non-precise uh, the second one is feel free to add or drop a foot so it's just like mm -hmm. you walk into the hallway the hallway's about nine feet across yeah. because then it's not oh I'm in a perfect ten foot cube because then everything just keeps sounding like it's a ten foot or five foot squares but if you say oh yeah the hallway's four feet wide then that seems more reasonable but you can still just go yeah you round it up for five for the purpose of fighting third thing use the word pace a mm. pace is a form of measurement that is two and a half feet so five foot square is two paces yeah. Or use, you know, even just throw out like, oh, yeah, the room's maybe about 30 yards across or something like that. If you want to yeah. go, it's a 90 foot long room. Mix it up some. I know, and when it comes to the spacing, this is something I'm also guilty of as a player. We're we're so used to going, my character takes up five feet. So if this is a 10 foot room, it's very small. But your character actually doesn't take up that much room. That's combat for combat. <laughs> No, I just walk around with my arms swinging around me at all times. <laughs> it's like most yeah. people's bedrooms are what, like, you know, like not a master bedroom, but like an average size bedroom like in a house is what, 14? Yeah, yeah, 10 by 12, 14, maybe. Yeah. It's like all of my friends 
could easily fit in that room and still have room to move around. My first thought when Heather said that was we went to an escape room not too long ago, and the first room we stepped oh, yeah. into, I swear, was a 10-foot cube. Yeah, and there oh, yeah, were, like, no. six of us and in there. there's six of us comfortably na navigating. I mean, we were kind of tripping over each other sometimes. Yeah. Now, if we all had to start swinging around swords, Oh, yeah, no, it would get real but, messy real fast. But. So that's also something <laughs> that, you know, it's one of those I try to keep myself aware of. It's like, yeah, yeah it's a 10-foot room, and that looks small because all of our little, you know, icons can't fit in there. But really, there's plenty of room if my character was actually standing there. Yeah. So that might be just something to, you know, remind everybody about once in a while, too, to keep things kind of in perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for emails. Are we yeah. still casting demon lords? Devil, Devil. Devil. princes. Devil you. princes. My apologies. Uh, there's a the... gross difference. Well, <laughs> yes. that's why I was asking. Jeez, Rachel. We, God, <laughs> we are. Let's go ahead and uh, I believe last time we cast the, the Lord of the First. We're just mm -hmm. going in order, aren't we? We are now going to be casting the Lord of the Second. Excellent. Oh, no. The Archdevil Dispater. I actually really like Dispater. He's one of my favorites. Dispater is Hell's greatest jailer and politician and rules its second layer, Dis. Also known as the Iron Lord, Father Dis, and the First King. Dispater is one of the more active rulers of Hell and one of Asmodeus's closest and longest standing allies. His unholy symbol is an iron spike driven into a golden ring with a red and purple crown. Dispater is a fallen angel, originally the lieutenant of Beelzebub who in turn was a champion of Asmodeus. Following his war against Illus, when Asmodeus led his host to hell in Exodus, Despater fell with his commander and was rewarded for his loyalty with, with the status of Lord of the Second. Alone amongst the lords of hell, Despater believes in the virtues of courtly love, and he has taken hmm. three wives of the course of his aeon's long existence. Oh. The first is forgotten, even by the Iron Lord himself, and only a token oh. of her existence is a shattered statue in Despater's throne room. The second was Ferona, an elemental demigoddess with whom Despater shared a brief, temptuous relationship with that led to the birth of his son, the Imperial Lord Regathiel. Despater's third and current wife is Akira, a once-mortal demigoddess who was condemned to hell for stealing the secret of eternal life from Phrasma. Huh. Oh. Uh, Despater appears as a majestic seven-foot-tall figure with rust-red skin, four horns, and a burning crown that hovers above his head. His skin bears dozens of scars and piercings, each of them a past wound turned into a mark of pride. He retains his angelic wings, although they are now black, and he keeps them retracted within his body at most times. The first king's staff of office is the eclipsing eye, a bladed staff with a great ruby through which Asmodeus constantly watches him. Creepy. There's just something about a devil lord, like, believing in the virtues of courtly love that I just think is amazing. <laughs> you know? It's very interesting. It feels both awful and... I don't know, it just feels wrong on some level, but it also is like, oh, it humanizes him, but oh, do I want that? I know exactly who I'm casting. Okay, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see who who picks who, because I've got I've got two choices. Oh no, don't steal mine. Well, I didn't want to go for the obvious one, so I'm not. Is there an obvious one? Is there an obvious one? Ron Perlman? Oh no. Oh no. Uh, I thought you were gonna say the obvious one was uh Pete Legends Hellboy. was Legends Tim Curry, but <laughs> I mean that's, that's also no. No, uh, I was actually gonna go. I'm sorry, um, Ron Perlman is not majestic. <laughs> yes, he well is. That voice Have is majestic. Have you seen oh, Hellboy? Yep. That man is wonderful in that movie. Uh, but that is not who I was going for because I wanted to not do the what I thought was the obvious choice. I'm gonna go for Joe Manganiello. Okay, you didn't go for mine. Not um, a bad choice. Okay. Because. 
Again, I've, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. I have also seen him in Magic Mike, and so I know he's funny. Sure. Uh, but I just, I, I have seen him when he talks about Sofia Vergara and like that, like romantic, like, oh, just so in love with her kind of bit. I just feel fits this. And he's also 6'5", which I didn't realize he was that tall. So. Yeah. Ross. Oh, uh, no. All right. Me, huh? <laughs> oh, let's see. I... I'm primarily basing this off of one of his formative works, but uh, I'm going to go with Idris Elba. Ah, he was one of mine, too. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but his work on Luther, I think, would be really indicative. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's so, a good one. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, Luther is a fantastic show, if you haven't seen it. Mm. It is Mm-hmm. Very grim and dark at moments, so I will put oh, yeah. that warning out there. But it is a great show. So there we go. That's my pick. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, my uh, first choice is not an option anymore. What was your first choice? I'm curious. My first choice was uh, Nikolai Custer Waldro. No, Waldrow, I already cast him. Thank which you. was already cast as Abadar. He's Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah, Because yeah. that guy is uh, is handsome. But I'll go with another handsome man. Also, Game of Thrones in. Aiden Gillen, who plays Littlefinger in Peter Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Peter yeah. Baelish. My God, is that man charming. Yeah. In a very, this is a prince of hell sort of way. He's schmarmy. <laughs> yeah. And, and his, um, I love the way that he portrays his obsessive, kind of disgusting, obsessive love for Kat, mm. uh, Ned Stark's wife. Yeah. Because it is that possessiveness that is, almost that corruption or inverse of the uh, the classic courtly love where it is uh, I'm in love with this individual but I'm almost more in love with the concept of them which would make yeah. sense for someone who has cycled through three wives during his eternity in hell mm. one he doesn't even remember one he one he literally doesn't remember and just keeps her statue in his mm-hmm. place it's like I don't right. remember that was a weekend so in Vegas ago. it's gone yeah. so uh, yeah Littlefinger. Come on. I'm going to go with Michael Fassbender, who has not been cast Ooh. for anything. And I'm going to point people back to 300, when he was not the leader of the group, but was the loyal soldier. Mm-hmm. And he played it intensely and well. He had that, like, insane grin in one mm. scene where it just... Yes, I, he's fierce also, he and a good-looking guy. Very suave. He's got that whole, yeah. like, chivalrous thing. As far as the Devil Prince is concerned, also, the man does have the creepiest smile. Oh, yeah. Like, he even when he's legitimately smile. trying to be, well, even when he's not trying to do a creepy smile, all of his smiles are creepy. <laughs> it's because it shows a lot of teeth. Yeah, it's all However, teeth. However, uh, Michael Fassbender, if you're scary. listening, we still really respect you, so. Yes. Oh, I love oh, yeah. you as an actor. You're I the, think you're amazing. You're the absolute <laughs> best thing about First Class. If, if Michael Fassbender is listening to this, I'm going to have a heart attack and fall over on the floor, <laughs> first of Fair all. Fair enough. But, I was just like, man, he's just going to be like, wow, these guys, like, like, think I'm evil or something. It's like, <laughs> no, it's just your face. That's all. I will say the, the one advantage to uh, casting him is um, his wife is Alicia Vikander. Yeah, his wife is Alicia Vikander, <laughs> who would probably make a pretty good choice for uh, what's her name? Ecuria. Mm-hmm. Who's the uh, queen of dis and like goddess of uh, deduction, mind reading and subtlety. 
Awesome. Huh. I can see that. <laughs> cool. That's a, that's a very interesting As well portfolio. as manipulating dangerous beings and opportunities to your benefit. I can see that because of uh, her role she played in The Man from Uncle. But I think oh, yeah. she's cast as something else. Anyway, unrelated to her. But Michael Fassbender, unrelated. that's where I'm at. Good choice. Good choice. Yep. That's a good one. Okay, so as I was as I was hearing the description, you mentioned politician, and for some reason that stuck in my head. So I'm gonna go with uh, Adrian Pastar, uh, who was Nathan Petrelli in Heroes. Um, oh. He has a he has a recurring role in Supergirl. Um, he he usually plays like a lawyer politician type because he is like mm. all jaw, like he just has like mm. the just a very oh. very pronounced jawline. But he always plays those like politician kind of people because he just kind of has that like persona. He looks like a jerk. <laughs> I wasn't like gonna really, you know, do. yeah, say like that, all politicians. Yeah. He look, he he always he looks plays very a jerk. politician, mm-hmm. right? Like he looks like he went to Harvard and then like you know he went to like become mayor of New York or whatever. You know, and then like he's, he's secretly kind of embezzling or doing something shady. Will Heather pick a wrestler? No, I'm picking Henry Cavill. Oh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Ooh, Henry. That was my yeah. backup. Yeah. Cast Henry Cavill. That's I was actually thinking, man. no, we haven't. Um, I think he's been up for things, but. Yeah, and yeah, and that, and, you know, he also, of course, plays Geralt in The Witcher, and let's not even talk about how unhealthy that relationship with Jennifer or Yennefer is, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he That's can why go in dark. my playthrough, he picked Triss. <laughs> To, to clarify, audience, we are aware that Triss at one point erased his memory so that she could sleep with him. Oh, I yep. didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a whole there's unhealthy a weirdness with that. Lie Dang, all his relationships are unhealthy. He all his just relationships be are unhealthy because all sorceresses in the world of The Witcher are kind of terrible people. Uh-huh. Which is racist, yep. not racist, which is sexist. And that, well, in that, like, <laughs> the gravelly voice he uses for Geralt, I'm That's like, fair. that could work ah. for a devil lord. <laughs> so my mind just immediately that. went went there. Also, so. he is a handsome man. Yes, yep. he, is. he is. This yeah. is also true. So, so Henry picked a Cavill lot of handsome people pick. for this one. Well, devils are <laughs> handsome because they have to be, is my theory. I know, right? It's tempting. <laughs> All I could think of was uh, was Henry Cavill in the full thing, just sitting on his throne and then, like, you know, Asmodeus' staff like, voice comes out of the staff and is, like, dispater and just, like... <laughs> 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 See, it's perfect, y'all. <laughs> in case the audience is wondering, that shing that you just heard was the F word in Geralt's voice. From oh, yes. Yeah, just yeah, go watch yeah. The Witcher and you know what it sounds like. And Asmodeus is, in fact, Jason Isaacs. Yeah, so. yeah that's true. Oh, oh and Alicia Vikander has already been cast because she's Rose. From oh, yes. <laughs> Rose would not be married to Dispater. That no, was- definitely not. <laughs> no. Well, you as always, you can go to the subreddit and vote for your choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have we well, not cast Idris Elba? Dude, I don't know if that's half the people that were up picked. for this. He's blaming the fans. Yeah, blame blame the fans for such a disheartening <laughs> thing. It's all right. His time will come. Mm-hmm. Uh, will. And that is all we have for this rumor reel today. So, uh, yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye, Pat Folk. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Stay Bye, safe out there. Don't die. <laughs> Don't make the same mistake these people did. Don't <laughs> die. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath.